folks, your old pal Jerry here. So, uh, Don't Trust Andrew Main continues Monday. This time it's at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, not 10 p.m. Eastern Time, but if you are watching it on the HD feed on the West Coast, like I'm gonna be, it's gonna be 8 p.m. instead of 7 p.m., a bit more of a sensible time. Please go ahead and watch it. Make sure you use the hashtag Don't Trust Main, M-A-Y-N-E. That's, of course, on the A&E Network, or you can always buy the episodes on iTunes or Amazon or pretty much anywhere else that you're used to buying stuff. Other than that, nothing. Just go and watch it. Go to the Facebook, support Don't Trust Andrew Main. Andrew's a good guy. He's got a show. You want to watch it. It's going to be a fun time, all right? Listen to the podcast. Bandwidth for the Weird Things Podcast provided by Wiretree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiretree.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weird Things Podcast. I'm Andrew Main, joined by Mr. Justin Robert Young. Hello. And our far-flung correspondent, returning yet again, Mr. Tom Merritt. It's good to be back, Andrew. Glad you could be here, sir. Actually, you fill in for me quite a bit when I'm not here. So, but, but, but a couple of times. Uh, this, uh, wait a minute. Now that I'm thinking about it, this is this the first Weird Things show I've been on with you? Quite possibly. I think it quite is, possibly. actually. Uh, I'm sure somebody out there who's familiar with Weird Things canon will be able to tell yeah. us if that's the case or not. Finally, a union like no other. The R. Kelly and Jay-Z of <laughs> podcasting have them. Well, I met. thought we'd get things started right off the bat with a union of sorts. You know, I don't have Spiro and Fudge, my usual crime-solving team. No. But I, I, need a couple not, of, I need a couple of gumshoes. I need some people who are uh, good at solving crimes, getting down to business, figuring what's going on, the low. I need you guys. All right. All right. I think we're, we're in. Absolutely. We're in. in uh, and, and no characters. It, it's just Justin Robert Young and uh, Tom Elaine Merritt. Yeah. Tom Tom Ace Merritt, private detective. <laughs> All right. But not a character. That's actually just who I am. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to let the Elaine part slip. <laughs> it's Eileen. <laughs> Actually, oh, is that is that why you were attracted That's to your wife? Yeah, yeah exactly. Your last, your middle name. Like your first name is my middle name. Let's be married. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let's get down to business. There's been an explosion in Germany. All right, an explosion. It's a town called Rasdorf. Right, you guys are on the scene. Do you know where this is going? No, I just really love the fact that a town is called Razdorf. <laughs> so you guys arrive on the scene because this is such a mystery. Nobody's been able to figure what's going on here. You arrive at the scene and there's a building. Maybe like a couple of the doors are blown off. The roof has gone off. Roof is off. And we're like, we don't know what happened. We need you guys to solve it. Tell us. In a German accent. <laughs> <laughs> well... Was there a house party? <laughs> um, blew the roof Nine. The place. No. Okay. Uh, uh, all right. I mean, if a roof blows off, nine times out of ten, it's some kind of industrial accident, right? Maybe. 
I mean, that's that's what I, I'm talking. I'm talking to to to. Uh, oh, I thought that, I thought maybe you were you were trolling for clues. Uh, yeah, it seems it seems like well, obviously, what can we tell? Something inside. If the roof came off, and the was it the doors blown off? Yeah, some doors are blown off yeah. too. Sure. So there was something from inside pushed stuff out. It wasn't an implosion, mm-hmm. correct? Correct. All right, and we can also rule out Hellmouth because a Hellmouth would open under it and right. it would collapse inside of it. So we can rule that's right out. Right, That's and would have been all over yeah. Drudge. Yeah, exactly. So now we're looking at, well, what can explode? Uh, obviously, uh, a shaken up soda can. Um, right, probably not going to put a roof off, but uh, perhaps... I mean, big enough can, though, obviously. Yeah, big enough can or a, no- a number of cans, perhaps. Seems unlikely, though. Um, Explosives. Explosives are known to explode. This is true. All right, all right, all right. Uh, it wouldn't have to be. It could be a boiler no room. Right, so far, this is great. Could could be some, you know, could be a uh, some kind of boiler room explosion, some kind of func- malfunction. All right. Like, you guys ask me yes or no questions. We we don't get sent out here if it's just some garden variety, uh, <laughs> you know, explosion. It's got to be something weird exploding. It's got to be like like a, a bunch of. Uh, nascent gummy bears like all of a sudden <laughs> turned into nitroglycerin and exploded was the fact was it a factory that makes both uh carbonated beverages and uh small hardened <laughs> european mints? no no it is not okay it's a good uh, guess just for a rookie you know, cross those two supply chains and right. oh maybe all right is it a case of uh, two elements that were not necessarily supposed to be together wound up coming together because of strange bedfellows in a warehouse. Well, that's kind of the nature of every explosion. <laughs> All right, yeah, but like, let's say like we're we're two things being stored no. that the people who stored the first thing didn't know. That no, second... I would say that prior to this explosion, if you walked in and you walked around there, I mean, like a minute before, you would not be like. Uh, you know, if you looked into the window into the warehouse or whatever the building it was, I didn't say it was a warehouse, by the way, you'd be like, oh, I don't think anything's out of the order here. Why are I those you- sticks of potassium nitrate right next to those gallons of, yeah, nothing. <laughs> no, no. Um, right next to those magically dancing matches. <laughs> uh, it, so it's a warehouse. No, it's not a warehouse. Oh, okay, it's not a warehouse. Uh, so it's a kindergarten. It's more of a, it's more of a shed. Shed. Gardening oh, well, I mean, all right. And something really screwed up needs to go on because sheds. People do dumb stuff in sheds. Is, all yeah. The time. Is fertilizer involved? No. That seems pretty mundane, actually. Just had my fertilizer. It's, it's weird things, Tom. Not mundane things. That's what I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm eliminating. You know, because once you've eliminated all yes. of the. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, it was a pipe bomb. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be our new podcast. Uh, crime report things. We yes. on local crimes. Uh, and he lashed his tires. So anyhow, moving right along. Uh, ah, man. All right. It is, are they household items that exploded? No. Not really, no. Was it was it uh, was it items that exploded? What is not an item is what has me confused. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we move into the metaphysical conversation. Couple of people. Saturn. 
Saturn is an item. <laughs> little spontaneous combustion of a German, perhaps? <laughs> a, a, a combustible thing combusted. Well, okay. Was it a human? No. Were there any casualties? Uh, no fatalities. All right, so, so some cuts and bruises. So it wasn't say. like yeah. suddenly a geyser of gas erupted from the ground. It was something combustible combusted. Um, oh, did they hit an oil? That's uh, uh, Derek, uh, nope. an oil uh, Texas tea. <laughs> oil <Nope>. Derek. <laughs> they had an you offshore know, oil platform stored in Germany, oil. the Black Forest. Of oil. So what? What are what are questions if you arrive on the scene of the crime you want to ask right away? Well, I would. Who is this? What's that? Whose is this? Whose shed is this? Hans. Okay, let's say it's Hans. Farmer Hans. What's Hans do for a living. He's a farmer. Okay. Um, what's on the ground that we could see outside the, the, as a result of the explosion? That'd be the first thing I'd look at. Some debris. Anything identifiable, though? I'm just parts of the shed. Okay, so we're not seeing anything that's like, oh, there, there's the gummy bears that Justin was referring to. Bomb casings, anything like that? No, you're not. No, you're not seeing anything that's going to help you on the ground. Okay. No. So then you're going to ask Hans what to keep like? in the shed. What was the question? I'm going to ask Hans, oh. what did you keep in the shed? Yeah, Cow. and then I'm going to get up in Hans's face and say, hey, listen, who do you think you are, Hans? You think I'm going to say, Justin, Justin, he's just a good farmer, okay? Look, right, I can yeah, only okay. hold him back good so farmer. long, Hans. I'm sorry, did you hear my, the, air, the answer to the question? Or? No, no, I'm sorry, I was <laughs> good You missed it, I was yelling. There are cows in the shed. <laughs> ah. Cow parts. Bing, bing. Yeah, <laughs> methane buildup. <laughs> Methane buildup in a cow shed. There's a static spark, and the shed blew apart. So, fortunately, <laughs> one of the cows was sparking up. Uh, all of the cows. Uh, apparently, one cow was treated for burns, but did survive. <laughs> <laughs> so all the cows were fine, <laughs> except for you know old uh, charcoal, but he turned out okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> old charcoal. Old 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 carbon scraping. Suddenly, he's that. a Holstein sheep. Yeah. So I just I just don't imagine like I don't know how often that happens, but imagine you pull up on the crime scene like explosion, like what? You get these scared cows and one's kind of burned. You're like, I don't guys, I want to go out on a limb here. I think I know what happened. I mean, <laughs> you know? Do you think that other farmers either hear this or like criticize Hans for like, well, you didn't put fart holes in? What are you dumb? You don't have fart holes in your shed. Jeez. <laughs> Like, are that, is it, are that, is that a thing? Any farmers who listen to this show, can you please let us know what the proper ventilation techniques are for, for keeping cows indoors? Yes. There has to be a thing, right? There has to be like a, a well, like, barns are notoriously drafty. So I wouldn't think it's normally that much of an issue. Like how airtight was this shed that the cows were being kept in? You know, those Germans are quite efficient. They are, right? I think that's what we should be focusing on is how can we apply this kind of self-sealing <laughs> shed technology in yeah. other areas? Yeah, Did you have like, like the, the HVAC thing? I was listening to Current Geek uh, Weekly before I, I, we recorded this, but Tom had a, a story on, on that show on the Frog Bands Network about how Apple stores, I guess it, it's a fairly regular thing for, for uh, retail establishments, but... Right. HVAC, when things get too smelly, they uh, turn on higher ventilation. 
So maybe that that you just need to establish that, but with cow farts. Yeah. The more you know. <laughs> now let's go into uh, some fringe territory here. Did you hear the uh, announcement this week that perhaps there has been a new pyramid discovered? What? Near the Why Azor Islands. The weird things tore through Europe. Yeah, near the Azor Islands off the coast of Portugal, the Azores, and uh, a uh, a researcher um, has claimed that they've looked at underwater imaging and found the remnants of what could be a pyramid. Huh. Could be, though. I mean, I remember there were the statues that they supposedly found in the Caribbean once and turned out to just be natural formations. Or the Bermuda Road, or yeah, yeah. we can go on and on about the number of these things that never panned out. And I think this will be one of those two. Well, the problem with, like, oh, we found a pyramid is that, like, uh, a big pile of crap kind of yeah. looks like a pyramid. That, that ended up at a point at the top. Like, really, you just need a pile of things. And if that exists, then you can be like, oh, I think I found this pyramid. But let's, let's say, all right, let, let's indulge that this is indeed a pyramid. What would the ramifications of that be? What, what are our first questions to our underwater pyramid that is now confirmed? Well, you know, the, the big question is, is, you know, we need to know that uh, was this a period, was this a place that at some point would have been above sea level? And yeah. one of the things that we tend, when we look, we think about history, we think of about, you know, the last 10, 20,000 years is we tend to think of coastlines looking roughly like they do now, which they didn't. And you know, a great example of that, that is what we've talked about on the podcast before is Doggerland, which is the area between England and France, which about 7,000 years ago, 8,000 years ago, was above water and was probably one of the most fertile, most, you know, hospitable places you would want to live in Europe because if you had access to water, there were probably a lot of rivers, etc. And there was probably a Mesolithic civilization living there, and then it either gradually went away as water levels rose or there may have been some cataclysm when an ice dam or something broke and the whole thing got flooded. But we know that there was culture there. We found things in uh, from sedimentary digs, from just you know digging down there, digging oil wells, et cetera, or pulling up and, and dredging. We found like antler barbs that have been antler you know, tips of antlers that have barbed like arrows. We found evidence of Neanderthals. We found evidence that there were people living there, and it's. Not too far off to think that they could have built some stuff there and, you know, the North Sea that, you know, when it was above ground could have put some, you know, stone domes, things like that. Things, structures that might still be there. Sure. How, well, yeah. how big is this pyramid? This pyramid is, I think, 60 meters on the side. Um, it is. Yeah. Uh, 60 meters tall with a base of around 8,000 square meters, according to one account. All right. So this isn't just a hut. No, no, this would be a... Uh, how how much is that in cubits, just so I can, you know... How many cows would it take to get in there and just blow the roof off this thing? <laughs> so I was just looking up Giza as a comparison, which is 146 meters tall. I don't know what it is on a side. Or it was 146 meters tall. And then it's now 138 because of erosion. So then, all right, so, so, so the first thought is just understanding that, like, there are a lot of places that we now understand as like the sea that has always been the sea or the ocean that has always been the ocean that, you know, did not exist. There were, were places where people lived prior, right? Yeah. One of the things that makes it difficult is that when we humans tend to live where there's water and water levels are one of the 
fastest changing features of the surface of the earth. You know, they, they rise, they fall, flooded areas, places like that. You know, we'll build, you know, we, we build in, you know, New Orleans, which, you know, you talk about 100-year floods. There are 100-year floods for a reason because every 100 years or so, these places get flooded out. But you get in there and you start living there, and then all of a sudden these things come through. Um, and since we tend to build in those places, those are sometimes the places we're first to lose. And when it comes to looking for deeper human history, many of the places we lived in are gone. You know, they're just underwater, and they're out there. And so there's a big part of what we don't know. Do we know so, that the Azores were were a larger landmass? I, I I don't know the history of them. Uh, I don't. I'm looking that up right now to yeah. find out. Like, you know, were was that area even ever above? Like, was sea that level, was that like history? a larger island? Maybe not Britain size, but you know, like they could have supported a larger civilization on there. That's it's. I I tend to think it's probably like you say, just an accumulation, but. Of sixty meters, it could be a construction, and it would be a revelation. I don't think it would be that much of a a big deal. I don't want to say it's not a big deal, but it doesn't seem out of hand that somebody could have constructed a sixty meter tall something. Yeah, yeah I, think- I, I know, and the somebody is aliens. So, yeah, well, well, not you know, not unusual to think that. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting. Like, you take like in Egypt, how they found off the coast there, they found the remnants of a port, port city there that right. had sunk. Um, it, what would be significant here would be idea that that I think that it would be a a European civilization that we were previously unaware of that was building at that level. Yeah. That would be a surprise. But again, the big question I'm trying to find the answer to is like, was that ever above you know, sea level in human history? But wasn't <laughs> it? And, but and, and 99 times out of 100 or more, or a thousand times, I mean, it's it's going to be just some naturally occurring undersea formation you know you get you whenever we see things like squares or triangles or any other sort of patterns we tend to think human but uh i just put up a photo we have a weird pics by the way is a new twitter account for weird things it's just photos that are kind of weird it's our version of history and pics and i just put up one of the the hexagon on the northern pole of saturn which oh, wow. you know it's eight thousand miles across it's bigger than the earth and it's it's a it's a hexagon. It's been there, you know, we've seen it for the last 30 years or so. It's a persistent pattern. It's a hexagon. They have their own polar vortex, by the way, at the South Pole. But this is a naturally occurring formation. And you can see this in convection cells, in, you know, your table, or excuse me, on the, you know, on the kitchen table using a Bunsen burner and water and some chemicals. You can see this on a planetary scale, and it looks like it's ordered. If you saw that, if we looked on Mars and we saw something that had a hexagon shape like that out of rock, we would think, whoa, you know, somebody built that. But yeah. not necessarily. Uh, and by the way, yeah, if you are not following Weird Picks, you really need to be. By you, I mean me. I need to follow it because W E I R D P I X. Weird Picks. Oh, uh, but yeah, you got the face on Mars. You got uh, oh, the, yeah, the uh, face on Mars is one of the best examples of that. Yeah, That's so we res. found a, a a high res and the low res. So there's the low res version of it is the inset photo. So you see like, wow, that looks like a face. Then you look at the high res version, you're like, that looks nothing, nothing like, like a, a face. face. That looks like a hill. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. These are these are absolutely awesome. So the Azores is far enough off the coast of of Europe uh, that uh, an African Mediterranean civilization could have gotten out there. A European civilization could have gotten out there, uh, or the aliens decided to hide their transmission pyramid underwater. I mean, those are sure. your three possibilities. All equally valid. 
So, well, yeah, uh, I mean, listen, the aliens did hide their transport module at the beginning of Star Trek Into Darkness before taking off right? after violating the Prime Directive. Yes. Yeah. No, it, it leaves you speechless. Confront <laughs> that kind of evidence. Uh, moving right along. So this will be a story we'll come back on a little later on as uh, we get more, you know, science on that. <laughs> uh, io9 had a very interesting article, and it was a link to a, I believe, a new scientist piece, which was uh, about the winter of 536. You guys remember that? Uh, yes, that was cold, wasn't it? Well, I mean, I'll tell you, I hope it doesn't affect the Super Bowl because that starts, uh, I mean, Pacific time at like 3.30. So 5.36 yeah. will be yeah, right, right during the fourth quarter. It could. It could. So the winter 5.36 was one of those things where they had accounts talking about how cold it was, and some accounts implied that that winter lasted maybe up to 10 years, a 10-year-long winter. And there have been a couple other points in history where we've had weather that just lasted for years at a time. I think in the 1800s there was a point like that after Krakatoa blew up. And so in 5.36 we're finding more accounts that this was a global phenomenon. And when you have something like that, your first suspect is the white volcanoes. Walkers. Yeah. Oh. Your first suspect is the White Walkers. Your second suspect is volcanoes. Thank you. And that would have been sort of a theory that it was a volcanoes causing this. But then looking at more evidence, it seems to be much more global and widespread than we thought. And there's a new theory as to what may have caused this. What's what is, that, Andrew? What is the theory, Andrew? <laughs> Justin's doing some technical adjustment. Yeah, I was, here. I was, I was yeah, distracted sorry, right sorry about that. Are you are you there, Justin? I'm here. I, okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. What, what is the promising evidence? It, well, it's more frightening than promising. That's the thing. Is that uh, the uh, there's uh, researcher has now claimed that he thinks there's a strong reason to think that it wasn't necessarily a volcano that caused it. Colin Barras, uh, there's an article has written an article over at New Scientist which makes the claim that perhaps it wasn't anything terrestrial, that it could have been fragments from Halley's Comet. Oh, got a little too close? Yeah. Pardon me? Got a little too close to us? Yeah, some fragments, you know, got off of there, all of a sudden start to affect the block out the sun a bit and putting us into some darkness, which then makes us the, the weather go get a bit colder. And that's one of the things we talk about how celestial events could affect us the idea that we could be dramatically affected by something like Halley's Comet known objects things like that that's one thing to talk about asteroid impact it's another when you start thinking about the idea of just an object that's already out there that just little bits of it flying off and putting us into a 10 year long winter yeah they found I'm, I'm look at the article now they found metallic spherules of nickel and tin in higher concentrations in the ice core at that time which there's evidence for some sort of some sort of extraterrestrial. Especially you the, know, the tin is suggestive of a comet, they say. Or this mm -hmm. Dallas Abbott fellow geologist says. Not fellow geologist. I'm not a geologist. I mean he's a fellow <laughs> yeah. He's a fellow. Yes. It's a geologist. Yeah. Uh how often do you think this kind of stuff happens? Uh like every eighty six years. Well, I mean they hail these comments up, but like <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's the question is, is that we, you know, we've only been really 
been able to look to the skies with any sort of act, you know, any sort of precision for a relatively short amount of time. The telescope is, you know, a useful telescope is maybe 200 years old, really useful ones, a hundred years old, things that could go, you know, see out smaller objects in look at large swaths of space the last 40 years, 30 years, and looking at in human history and all these strange events and things have happened, you know, unless we can find it in the geology or digging into sediment to find evidence of that, we don't know what caused a lot of things. Well, I recently, or it's either recently or upcoming. I'm unstuck in time, um, <laughs> but we're going to celebrate uh, an anniversary of the recording of the, the beginning of the first Little Ice Age uh, in 1046. Or not the first Little Ice Age, but the first recorded mm-hmm. Little Ice Age. Uh, it, it was in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. They were just like, wow. Stuff got really cold, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, except in in Anglo-Saxon, and and so that that is thought to be just sort of a natural, you know, up and down of of the climate. But what what perturbs the climate into those oscillations? Is it is it just you know the 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 regular rhythms of climate, or do we get these? these knocks like this where a piece of Halley's comet maybe hits the earth Mm -hmm. and sends up a dust cloud and cools the earth. And what does that do to the rhythm of the climate over time as well? Right. I mean, if butterfly flapping, it's proverbially can cause a hurricane. What does a freaking piece of Halley's comet smashing into the earth do to the climate for the next million years? Yeah, it's, that's a big question. We we tend to try to look for very, you know, for geospecific answers to what is these drivers of climate? You know, how does our, you know, axial to, you know, rotation affects things, the changing jet stream, stuff like that, and the smaller scale stuff that has a bigger effect. But when it comes to, yeah, the, the much larger things, and we start looking out into space, we look at these other objects, you know, there's the period at which we get these cataclysm causing disasters from, you know, the birth of the earth on forward, you know, there seems to be some sort of regularity to that, which, you know, implies there could be some sort of death cloud out there <laughs> of, of asteroids. <laughs> Well, all right, here. So let's let's break it down to brass tacks. I'm just an av. Let's say theoretically, I'm just an average idiot listening to this podcast. Theoretically, how terrified do I need to be, or made by the idea that these kind of massive changes in our atmosphere could be brought about by the seemingly random happenings of these these uh, events that are beyond our control? I. I think that on a relative time scale, not that terrified, but on a longer time scale, it's a, it's a matter of when, not if. I think that, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're all big champions of space exploration and space science here. And when you think about, you know, right now there's, uh, there, for instance, NASA is going to be spending less money working with external partners like SpaceX or Boeing and some of these other companies. They're not going to, they're going to have to narrow down the companies they work with for the next generation spacecraft. Um, that's a little scary because you think about, you know, the biggest advances we've had have been outside of NASA. And now, you know, we're going to be real, not relying as much on that and having to go more to an internal model, which takes a lot longer to build and design things. And, you know, if you want to get space telescopes, things like that up there, then, you know, the more, the better, the sooner. Yeah. You'll see this stuff. J- Justin, I mean, how much uncertainty are you comfortable living with? Uh, Probably more than I think, but I'm not Cause, comfortable cause with being right. reminded of it. It's like if you want a hundred percent certainty that this isn't going to happen, you're screwed. That's you're sure. just not going to get that. But it's 
it's a very high percentage. Probably I mean, really, many I, nines. I'm, I'm just looking at planning out my year, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, am I going to die this year? Do I need to I'd start, say you know? Seven nines. Nine, nine point nine, <laughs> nine, 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 nine on, on you making it through the year. Good. Because, I mean, like, listen, if we got to get into the two minute drill on this, like, human existence thing, then let's, let's boogie. Like, why are we, why are we, like, putzing well, around? Let's well, remember, party. we're, we're almost on a, the one year anniversary of the Chelyabinsk meteor. That was February 15th of last year. Okay. And remember when that happened, you know, we see little things on the, we see little videos, YouTube videos come up. You know, remember talking to Brian, like, is this a hoax? Is this some sort of movie thing going on? And then as the information floods in and you, you get the compel, we realize, holy crap, this is real. We just saw a massive meteor deteriorate. Well, Matt, with relative size to anything I've ever seen, yeah. you know, deteriorate over the atmosphere in the most public way possible. And it made it very real very quickly. This stuff is real. Yeah. You know, and shattering awesome windows. Meteor. Yeah, I mean, shattering windows, just causing a right. wide-scale, you know, amount of you know physical damage on the ground. Tunguska, still, you can go and see the evidence from, and it was at night. Yeah, yeah. it was in the early 1900s, but it just like 1916 or 1906. I think it's 1906. They didn't that get out for like. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, there's still devastated areas of Siberia from that more than a hundred years ago. Yeah, and anything about that? So you have. We don't know what happened. You know, some stuff that, that happens over the ocean, we don't necessarily know. You can kind of look at some seismic impacts and stuff and see things that happen. And so you could have an impact like Tunguska every two or 300 years, you know, and may not realize it because, one, usually it happens over water or places with a lot of erosion. But these things could be once every 500-year events or whatever, and you could be due if there's some sort of cycle to it. Well, the more with, we know, the better. Yeah, civilization with agriculture and writing is four or 5,000 years. If it's every four or 5,000 years, we're due. <laughs> hey, look at that. Look at what time it is. Also, uh, it makes me, I was just, uh, I, would, I don't know why I was hearing somebody talk about Fermi's paradox and the, you know, the idea that mathematically it's almost a certainty that there should be lots of other life in the universe. So why haven't we seen or heard any evidence of it? And this, this could, this is a possible solution to Fermi's paradox that the reason we haven't is because there's so much debris in the formation of stellar systems that before life can really get going, it doesn't destroy itself. It, it just gets wiped out by a random hit. I, my issue with Fermi's paradox is if you look at, uh, if you look at population patterns, you know, looking just the, just in the, uh, and our planet, not the other population patterns I have from other planets. <laughs> um, but I mean, you look at that, you see as you reach a certain level, you know, as the, the biggest, uh, uh, we used to think that it was purely income level was what reached, helped you sort of have a declining birth rates, you know, because we think that like the higher your income, the fewer kids you have, but actually getting, you know, lowering infant mortality is like one of the biggest things, is the biggest driver of a lower birth rate. Because if you know more kids will survive, you have that one kid, you don't pop the other kid right out, you know, a year later. You're not worried You just about have that, that one kid. You just need to throw a lot of kids out there so some of them survive, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Throw a lot of kids and so, at the wall and see which one sticks. <laughs> so which one we know that you know back and lives. the 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 population crisis that's going to be facing human civilization in the next hundred years is replacement. You know, we're not going to we're going to be an older aging population with fewer children, and we're not going to be having. You know, you have places like Russia, which have a negative replacement value. You have some Scandinavian countries that the only thing helping increase their population is immigration. You get places like Japan, which are facing negative population growth. So 
I think that the the spread of a civilization doesn't necessarily imply that you're going to keep having billions and billions to get to trillions of people that you might reach a sort of static level of population and then you know we i think that fermi's paradox and some of these things i think about like it's kind of like it'd be like us standing 150 years ago thinking like you know well if there's these other civilizations why isn't the world covered with railroad tracks um you know we know now too when it comes to like we're waiting to you know pick up you know radio waves from other you know other civilizations and now we realize well you know we use you know the way we use radio signals now it'd be really hard to pick up modern radio signals because you one they're encrypted in ways that look like background noise two when you start using more line of sight you become much more efficient with that so the fermi's yeah. paradox i always thought it was a very you know i, I thought it was kind of a i don't know how to say i i think that it looked at it was trying to take the present and extrapolate it into the future. Definitely. And, and there could be, and like, like I said, there are lots of p potential explanations for, yeah. for that, uh, including just the idea that the root premises are off, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do like the idea that it's just like, it's a ping pong game. It's, it's, it's a pinball game out there and uh, you're, you're going to get hit and your civilization yeah. is going to get wiped out. So just get used I to it. Yeah, another thing too is like you know we don't I don't I just went to the uh, the Griffith Planetarium last night and saw one of their shows and it's just awesome when you just see like you know here's the galaxy you know here's these billions of other galaxies and here's this stuff you know like man yeah there's got to be life in, even in our own there's got to be life but we make that jump from life to intelligent life way too quickly you know it took there's life has been on our planet for 3.6 billion years and only in just the tiniest little sliver of fraction has there been intelligent Minecraft. life i.e arguably not yeah. quite there depending on how you look at things <laughs> if you want to take a pessimistic attitude for sure <laughs> just on the just on the barrels, uh yeah i i don't know i i do think that civilization there's it's probably like most things a combination of factors right so it's not just that asteroids wipe out a bunch of civilizations it's not just that you know they decide to have more efficient means of communication and that's why we can't detect them but a lot of civilizations may end up reaching you know the state of china in the 1300s where they're just like we don't feel the need to go anywhere or yeah. or let out you know or or really explore that we, we've 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 properly oppressed yeah. our peasants to the point that we <laughs> can got a nice in their own strive for individuality oppressive system here that the ruling power says no this is enough well, yeah yeah you're starving over here we don't care we have control yeah because of geography and climate <laughs> um yeah it could be very well, well could be brightened up everyone's day <laughs> yeah. uh yeah i think that you know i i, I think that if we had a super highly advanced civilization, you know, it's not going to necessarily look like close encounters or things like that. You know, their spaceships might be a bunch of smart dust, yeah, you know, sure. that, that, you know, a five meter long cloud that drifts into our solar system. And, and, uh, you know, who, you know, we, we get back to the whole idea of Pansmeria and the idea that, you know, maybe, maybe life on our planet is self-replicating, a self-replicating system that was seeded from somewhere else. And what if evolution is driven by different factors? You know, the, the, we assume that evolution is driven by replication because that's the one we see on this planet. It's a little hard to mm -hmm. imagine it not being because replication mm -hmm. seems to be the way of survival. But, but I at least will admit the possibility that it could be driven by something else that's, you know, heavily stable. And just I was thinking of this idea for, for a novel I'm, I'm kicking around, which is the idea that we have electricity in our brains. 
as a derivative of, of aiding that driving of replication. But what if it was flipped? Mm -hmm. What if electrical circuits could be stable and replication was just sort of aiding the electricity to keep its stability? And you have a, like an electric civilization of individuals. Yeah, I think I would be thought of a meeting. An electric with... youth, if you will. <laughs> Some of them would be. They could go to work together and form a electric company yeah. of sorts. <laughs> right, right. And they would all live on Electric Avenue, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. so that's heavy. Um, you guys want to uh, – I want to do a couple plugs first. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, manana, very excited. Uh -huh. I'm going to be appearing on Cord Killers. Yeah. Excellent. That's right, Excellent right? show, yeah. I just didn't um, invite myself on there, did I? <laughs> well, wait, are you on tomorrow or you're on the week after? Let me let me double check. You're on uh, March 3rd, but are you I'm also on, on tomorrow? Wait, on March 3rd? Oh, then forget that. Don't even watch the show. Well, because tomorrow we're doing the How to Cut the Cord episode. Um, and then March 3rd, we have you booked as a guest. Like I said, March 3rd, March 3rd. I'm going to be on Cord Killers. Uh, Damn, February and uh, March having the same dates on the same days of the week. Just I just heard 3rd. I've never booked anything a month in advance, so that's that's a new, it's a very new exciting thing for me to try doing. <laughs> uh, uh, so March 3rd, I'll be on Cord Killers. Uh, yes. Uh, but tomorrow on Cord Killers. How to cut the cord. Yes. That's uh, Mr. Tom Merritt, Brian Brushwood. Any special guests? Uh, Nicole Spagnolo is definitely going to be on, but I think we're. That's why I was confused, is because I think your name was bandied about, as was Justin's, as as being other people to come on. So I'm not sure. Listen, there's a show that I don't really care about anymore called Cord Killers. Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, tomorrow night uh, we're doing a, a on A and E. There's a block we're doing it starting. It's um. Don't trust Andrew Maine is going to be on at eleven, but on the HD channel on the West Coast, it'll be eight PM. So yes. excited about so, that. Although so on check TV, that out. Don't I still get? I think on Direct TV they give me the East Coast feed, so that can. No, be yeah, yeah. So so if you are West Coast, like me and Tom and, and Andrew are, you are watching it in HD at eight PM. So there you go. Because no. it was at seven PM. Now it'll be at eight PM. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's on tomorrow night on A. Yes, check it out. Uh, but by the time you get this, it has already aired. Uh, I think on February sixth, I'm going to be on Doctor Oz. I taped the segment in New York this week. Yeah, bh one's best week ever. Um, Big so Andrew just wanted to throw those. Week, huh? It was a pretty awesome week, um, gentlemen. Plug away, please. Um. Well, here, where where can people just everybody make sure you follow at Andrew Main, and you'll you'll get all the all the details on exactly when uh you know all the all the awesome press is going to be between Dr. Oz and Best Week Ever, so go ahead and make sure you are doing that if you are not already. Uh, Tom, you're uh you you just uh you're 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 bringing news to everybody on on a, in a daily well, way. It's yeah, it's tech news daily uh, yeah. show, so I call it the Daily Tech News Show. At dailytechnewsshow.com. Uh, it's probably the first time I've gotten that literal at naming a show. So I feel it's <laughs> well, I remember when you were first, you're like, well, you know, because we were talking about, I mean, you were transitioning from, from Tech News Today and everything. And you're like, well, I, I think you should just be doing something the day after Tech News Today. You're just going to be, just keep rolling with it. 
uh, and you're like, yeah, okay, well, definitely, there's going to be a new show. But for right now, I'm just going to – I have Daily Tech News Show. I'll just have – it'll just be the thing that I do until I do the other show. It's like the, the most show. generic name I could think of, so I can go anywhere with that name later. And then now yeah. that's kind of just – I, I think I remember it. telling you, it's like, listen, the problem is that it's going to be too popular. Is that like people are going to like it too much and you are going to do too good of a job because you can't not do a good job. You can't do a half good job for this. Uh, so it's just going to be the Daily Tech News Show. And, and, and it, thus it, it is. is. Uh, and we, uh, we're we supporting it via Patreon. And uh, it just, we just hit our first milestone goal. So I want to thank everybody who's backed us there uh, for, for making us uh, at least have a baseline show possible, which is awesome. Hey, what brave new world, man. And, and I love, you know, I was talking to Brian about this, that you guys, I mean, cord killers is obviously a huge part of, of your brand. And that, they're going really... to have Andrew main on March 3rd. On that show. <laughs> I heard. Well, I'll get back to you on that one, guys. <laughs> uh, like the, the, the idea is kind of very clear. It's like, Hey, listen, cancel your cable, support the shows you like on the internet, buy the shows you like that are from, you know, major uh, players on you know iTunes and Amazon and everything, and uh, it's it, it's a real it's a real cool cohesive message. Excellent. Should I do your plug for you now? Um, <laughs> I don't know what my plug would be. Oh, plug would be the YouTube channel. So, uh, oh yeah, I'm doing I'm doing more stuff on YouTube. I'm doing weekly videos on YouTube. YouTube.com/slash uh, Justin Robert Young. Uh, go ahead and subscribe. Uh, but it's one of those things where I've had... How much will it cost me to subscribe? Zero. Zero. Unlike that shyster, Tom Merritt, who's uh, (laughs) a money from you for daily tech. you don't have to give me anything. (laughs) But Justin, Justin's taking it one step further. He won't even take your money. No. I'll throw it right back in your face. Uh, But uh, if you're you're a fan of this show or a fan of, uh, of, of NSFW... There's a lot of silly characters and voices and and kind of tangents that I tend to go on, and this has kind of been uh, a fun little home for that. So nine this, hotel uh, hacks I bet you didn't know about. Oh my nine god, hotel I hacks. Was Brian. Uh, yeah, no, that was that's been it's it's been fun getting reaction to it, and uh, this week we have the first uh, vlog from noted author of the Goosebumps series, R.L. Stein. Really? Uh, to, brings you the behind-the-scenes story of how he wrote The Haunted Mask, uh, the Goosebumps classic, The, the Haunted Mask. Now, does he live so, alone? Uh, he, uh, listen, he's very vocal about that, and, and uh, you, will, you will understand uh, a lot about R.L. Stein. If you, if you are, are, have not seen the NSFW character, then I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. It's not just me yelling the NSFW lines. It, it's kind of its own character. So I, it's something that I hope to do a lot of. And in fact, I tweeted a picture of me as, as R.L. Stein yesterday. And uh, I think the most enthusiastic response I got was from Scott Sigler, who was uh, thrilled with the prospect of seeing the video and immediately wanted to be interviewed by R.L. Stein. So hopefully we'll That's be able fantastic. to put that together and, I'll head down, or RL will head down and interview uh, Scott Sigler, a little author-to-author chat. More of that thing that you're talking about, just, uh, you know, making your cool stuff available to people. Patreon.com slash A-D-T-E-C-T. You can just search Tom on Patreon.com and that works. Too. Well, right. I tried searching different ways. and Yeah, just, <laughs> just if you search Tom Merritt for some reason, it doesn't. 
Oh, Tom. Yeah, it's, I couldn't get Tom here, but Tom does. Yeah, just Tom. Tom is creating podcasts, and he's being kissed by a lovely woman in the photo. Oh, that's my <laughs> wife, Elaine. He's like, hey, squares. It's <laughs> <laughs> what a girl looks like. Uh, Subscribe to this, and you'll get one, too. That's right. Maybe. It's All right, do we promise. still want to do... Do we still want to do? Do I do quick picks or? Yeah, or, we're doing picks. Let's do picks. I'll go first. Go. I'll say in a surly tone. <laughs> uh, I picked a while ago a book on this very podcast that I thoroughly enjoyed, and I thought, you know what? I want to go back and I want to read this again, but maybe I'll try it as an audio book. And I did, and I liked it. I'm I'm halfway through it. I'm enjoying it thoroughly. And that is Ian Banks, player of games. And this is set in his culture universe, which is this society that is basically a post-scarcity society, kind of a post-singularity type civilization, which oddly enough isn't our future, but takes place in some far-off part of the galaxy, uh, either before or during or slightly after this current era, but it involves humanoid people. And it's just a a very, very fascinating world-building. And I didn't realize when I first read this book that it was actually written in like 1988 or 1989. I thought it was much more recent, but that makes it all the more prescient or interesting when we start talking about what a post-singularity civilization would be like, et cetera. But the core of the story that makes it really neat is it's it's about the human element, and it's about a man who is the best player of games in this civilization. This guy excels at any kind of game of skill from you know their poker analogs to their chess analogs to whatever, and he gets offered the chance to go play this intricate game in some other civilization that they're trying to make contact with or they're negotiating with and it's this civilization spanning game where it's basically their civil service exam it decides your place in the society everything else and the stakes of the game get escalated and it's it's kind of like uh, in a a way i think that you know it's kind of a, a space opera casino royale in a sense oh nice and very, very good. I read this one time, and it's not, you don't have to know, it's not, you don't have to be into rockets and lasers and robots or things like that. It's very much what happens to this guy put into the civilization, and you can almost think of this being, you know, playing a game of Go in India, you know, a thousand years ago or something. I don't know. But anyhow, thoroughly enjoying the audiobook. Uh, it's a book that I keep coming back to. It's one of my favorite books, one of my favorite Ian Banks books. It's called Player of Games. All right. Tom, do you have a do you have a pick that you would like to share with the world? Yeah, I, well, I just want to. I can pick anything, right? Just something. I'm, anything. Yeah. Anything you want. I can pick anything, guys. I can pick anything. Because look, I've <laughs> just got watch. picks. Actually, I just created while Andrew was talking a page at DailyTechNewsShow.com of picks, uh, just totally because it reminded me of that right now, where I'm going to have like all the things that I use technology wise. But that's not what I want to pick. What I want to okay. pick is Dan Carlin's Hardcore History episode on World War One? Uh, he put out part two this week. If you don't know Dan Carlin, uh, he does hardcore, he does common sense podcast as well, but Hardcore History's like three hour heavily researched takes on an issue that he thinks are important to know for making sense of the current situations in the world. And and what he's doing in these, I think, is really fascinating, is he's showing that we all think of World War II as the defining moment of 20th century history. But he says, without World War I having a few things happen, we don't get World War II. And so understanding how World War I happened is more important to preventing another World War II than understanding anything about World War II. 
And yeah. he's talking about, you know, he takes it in the first part. He takes it from the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which the 100th anniversary is coming up this June, actually. And then he follows, like, the series of events that lead to, you wouldn't think that an Austrian Archduke being assassinated by a Serbian in Sarajevo would end up having France and Germany come to blows. But it does, and it makes perfect sense how it happens. And you can look around at some of the interlocking uh, alliances that are happening today and the friendly way in which we have them, which is exactly what Europe was experiencing, and the fact that they had just had a war between France and Germany that they had contained in 1870, uh, and 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 then you add in technology and the more efficient way of killing people that no one had actually experienced yet, and it's, it's just really, really, really... I, I don't know how many reallys I should put in there, but a lot of reallys. <laughs> uh, interesting analysis of something you probably think you know a lot about until you start hearing what really made it happen call yeah. me skeptical i'll have to listen to it is that i you know the the the, uh, the assassination thing i've You're heard it's just been so so overblown as far as being the the it's the, the thing we say this is what caused it when right. it was this was a momentum you know that, no and that's know, that but. you're absolutely right and that that is the point of part one of this is mm -hmm. to say this is how we got from that place to that place but the, the assassination really isn't the cause it's just mm -hmm. the thing that people started you know anything could have been the okay. cause yeah yeah interesting yeah awesome so dan carlin and that's a is it a two-part or multi-part beyond that hardcore history uh, i think it's going to be three parts so second part just came out sweet uh so sad news um really really sad news one of uh i think the greatest uh, living American actors, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, unfortunately was found dead today. So uh, rest in peace to him and his, uh, for, I mean, obviously people will be thinking a lot about him uh, now. And, and I would like to recommend The Master, uh, which uh, came out last year and probably, uh, you know, and it's, it's weird to even think like this now, but what we thought about it is as his last best work, it's, it's insane. He is, you know, was an insane actor. And this is, it's a movie that for whatever you think about the movie itself, there is really no denying the fact that Philip Seymour Hoffman portrays this uh, L. Ron Hubbard kind of character in a way that is believable that he could build a religion around him. You know, he is, uh, it is, it is a masterwork. He, uh, you know, was uh great and we will all be sad to we're all poorer for not having uh any more philip seymour hoffman in our lives past now but uh but in his honor go ahead check it out he's amazing in that movie yeah. uh i think on that note uh we'll bring it to close uh gentlemen it's been weird